This is my uh, trusty Magic 8 ball for the day. So let's ask it a few questions. You ready? Can anybody beat the Patriots? Outlook not so good. But Chick-fil-A opened for me on Sunday. Outlook good. Yeah, there's hope. There's, God works in miracles. Uh, let's see. Is Shan taking me out to lunch this week? Outlook not so good. I got out both times, both services. Man, can I ever overcome the addiction? Outlook not so good. Can you put my life back together, my family? My reply is no. Can you give me purpose and meaning in life? My reply again is no. I think if we were honest, a lot of us could look at this eight ball and say, this looks a lot like our Jesus. This is a lot of the way we treat Jesus, and we say, well, shake him like an eight ball until we get the answer we want, and if we don't get the answer we want, well, then I'll just find my answer somewhere else. A lot of us treat Jesus like a magic eight ball. But you know what the problem with treating Jesus like a magic eight ball is? Is it cheapens the, the power and the person of who he is. And you know what the problem with a magic eight ball is? It's a magic eight ball doesn't give two hoots about your life. Magic 8-Ball is a bunch of programmed responses that change every time you shake the ball. Magic 8-Ball can do nothing for you, but Jesus can. In fact, if Jesus uh, were to show up on your porch this morning and knock on your door and say, what do you want me to do for you, what would you say? Would you slam the door in his face and say, I don't want anything to do with you? Would you not take him seriously and be like, I think I'll take a million bucks? Or would you be able to peel back the layers of your heart and expose your deepest need, your deepest desire, your deepest want to him and say, Jesus, this is what I want you to do for me. That may sound like a silly hypothetical situation, but it actually happened. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open to Luke chapter 18. That's where we'll be today. And what we see in this story, Jesus asks a man, what do you want me to do for you? And, but before we get there, we need to spend some time looking at what happened before he asked that question. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. When he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. And they told him that Jesus the Nazarene was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, the people in front of him yelled. But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, here's what's going on in this story. We have Jesus, whose fame is spreading all over the region. Every village in the region has heard of this miracle worker, Jesus. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, verse 37, if we go back just a few chapters before this story, we know that everyone was hearing of him. That's what it says. His fame was spreading to every village in the region. So if this was modern day, if Jesus lived today, Jesus would be like an overnight sensation. Everybody would be following Jesus. He'd have tons of followers on the gram, and he'd have tons of friends on Facebook. He'd be living that hashtag blessed life. But at the same time, while we have hashtag blessed Jesus over here, we also have the total opposite side of the spectrum with this blind man. And we know from another story that it's pretty much the same story in a different account. This blind man's name was Bartimaeus. We'll call him Bart today for short because Bartimaeus is too many syllables. See, Bart was the opposite side of the spectrum as Jesus. Bart was blind. Bart was a beggar. Bart had sat on the side of the street his whole life just asking for people to help him. You see the stark differences we have in this story. Jesus, hashtag blessed, and Bart, hashtag give me a break. 
To be a blind beggar in that day, one writer says, was to have no kin or family, to have no attachments or personal possessions, and was to be an embarrassment for simply existing. That's what Bart would have thought about himself. Why did you make me this way? So we have these two characters, Jesus and Bart. But I want to focus on a third character that's in this story, the crowd. See, the crowd is also in this story. And they had also heard of this fame of Jesus, this incredible miracle worker. And when they find out that Jesus is coming through their city, they start yelling, bro, it's Jesus. Jesus is coming to our city. You know, the guy who heals people, Jesus is coming. We got to go see Jesus. I mean, we have some first century fangirling going on because they are so excited to see Jesus. And as in their excitement and in this commotion, as they're yelling for, to get close to Jesus, Bart, the blind beggar, hears them. He's like, well, something's going on. There's commotion. Guys, he starts tugging on jackets. Guys, what's going on? What's going on? They're like, bro, it's Jesus. Jesus is coming through our city. You know, the guy who can heal people like you, the, the, blind, the blind see and, and the lame walk, Jesus is coming through our city. And Bart's like, oh, let me at him. I got to get to him. And so he starts yelling at the top of his lungs, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what does that crowd do? That crowd turns around and looks at Bart and says, shh, shut up. He doesn't want to hear from you. You're not worthy enough to speak to him. You know what this story teaches us right off the bat? That no matter where you're at in life, whether you're old or young, whether you're married or single, whether you have kids or you don't have kids, every single one of us have problems. Eh? Would you agree to that? Yes, we all have problems. And Bart had two. First of all, Bart was blind. Couldn't see anything. Didn't know where he was going. And number two, Bart had the problem, I would call it the problem of the crowd. See, when you read the story, notice it wasn't his blindness that actually kept him from getting to Jesus. No, the thing that kept Bart from getting to Jesus was the people around him telling him to be quiet. Sometimes our biggest problem is not our biggest problem. Sometimes the biggest problem is the people we surround ourselves with asking to help us with our problem. You know what I mean. Maybe you've been an addict your whole life. And you've tried and tried and tried to get clean. You go to the meetings and you avoid the triggers that lead down those paths of destructive behavior. Then you get in an argument with a family member or a friend. And they say, you'll never change. You'll always be an addict. You'll never be clean. Or you're married and your, your marriage is falling apart. And you fight and you fight with each other. And you quite frankly just can't stand to be around each other. And you start thinking, well, maybe I'll just leave. But then you remember, no, I made a commitment before God that I would love this person in sickness and in health. Then your friends come along. Pfft, you're not happy. You're not happy. There's other fish in the sea. You can just leave. It'll be okay. Your kids will understand. See, sometimes our biggest problem is not our biggest problem. Sometimes it's the people that we surround ourselves with. See, every single one of us has a problem. Maybe big, maybe small. Maybe friends, maybe family. Every single one of us has problem. And a lot of us fail to fix those problems. We fail to find a solution to those problems because we can't push through. We meet the first sign of resistance. The crowd starts talking to us and we just stop and say, well, I met some resistance, so I guess I can't fix this problem. I'll just give up. But if this is true, if we all have problems and we all face this resistance to fixing our problems, what does this story teach us? What is this story that's set in the first century about a guy named Jesus who you may or may not be a fan of? What does this story teach us about how we face our problems? 
it, it answers it for us in the story, I think. We just need to rewind a little bit and look more closely. Let's read verse 37 once again. They told him that Jesus the Nazarene was going by, so he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, put yourself in Bart's shoes for a second. Okay, imagine this for a minute. He's been blind his entire life. He's never seen anything, but he hears of this miracle worker. This miracle worker, Jesus, who's been healing cripples and giving sight to the blind. If I'm Bart and I'm in this situation, I begin praying every single day for Jesus to walk through my city. Because if Jesus walks through my city, I can finally get an audience with him and I can finally be healed. And then it happens. The day comes and he hears that Jesus is coming through. So he begins yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. See, he may have been blind. And he may have had to deal with the crowd, but that was not going to stop him. Because Bart had faith. Everybody say faith. See, here's the definition of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, let's apply this definition to Bart's life. Think about it and Bart's situation. He was hoping for healing. He was hoping for sight. He was hoping to move from the side of a street to maybe a house. He was hoping to not feel like an embarrassment for the rest of his life. And he was assured of it, that he could be made well because of the evidence of things he had never seen. You see that? Bart had never seen a crippled man walk. Bart had never seen a blind man receive his sight. Bart had never seen a man who was covered with lepers, uh, leper's sores be cleansed. He had never seen uh, a crippled walk or, or a dead person rise from the dead. But Bart had heard the testimony and the evidence of others saying, this happened. Jesus has done this. He believed in the evidence and the testimony that he had heard from others, even though he couldn't see. Bart is the living definition of faith. But for you and I, sometimes believing in something we can't see, well, that's hard. And that's difficult. And for many of us, that is the problem that we have with Jesus. That's the struggle that we have with Jesus because we can't see him. And many of us have not taken the time to research or read or listen to the testimony of others about the goodness of Jesus. And so we just give up on him because we can't see him. He's never showed up in my life. I've never seen him. So he must not be real. We give up on Jesus because believing in the invisible is too hard. But let me tell you something really important about faith that Bart understood. And that is that faith is not blind belief. Faith is not blind belief. F faith in science, it's a big hot button issue right now. And, and there's arguments on both sides of the spectrum. But they aren't necessarily opposed. See, in my worldview, I believe that science actually points to God as existing. It gives us more evidence to understand God. Science helps us understand God more. Belief in God, then, is where the evidence points. Uh, let, me, let me tell you what I mean. 2005, uh, there was a group of people that started a new church, a new religion called the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. Here's a picture of the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. It's a real thing, okay? It's a real thing. They believe that the Flying Spaghetti Monster snapped his noodles up in space and everything was created, you, me, and the whole universe was created. Uh, <laughs> they call themselves the Pastafarians. And they believe that pirates were the uh, first Pastafarians on earth. This is a, a real religion. You can, you can Google it, look it up on Wikipedia. And so the, the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, their premise is, 
you can't disprove my flying spaghetti monster the way I can't disprove your God, so your God must be as silly as my flying spaghetti monster. But here's the problem with that line of thinking. You and I don't believe something because you can disprove it or not disprove it. You and I believe in something because that's where the evidence points to. You drop an apple, that's gravity. That's where the evidence points to. See, that's the flaw in this line of thinking. We don't believe in Jesus because you can or can't disprove him. We believe in Jesus because that's where the evidence points to. And it takes work to get to that point of belief, but it's not blind belief. Bart believed because though he was blind, he had heard the testimony, he had heard the evidence of this Jesus. And Bart knew if he had been reading his scriptures, that Israel, the people of Israel, were waiting for God to send the Messiah, for God to send his son. And as Bart starts putting all these ideas together and all these things he's heard about Jesus, he decides this guy must be the son of David. This must be the long-awaited Messiah. So that's why he starts yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Even though he couldn't see, Bart had put the evidence together to believe that Jesus was who he says he was. Look, I grew up in church. My dad was a minister. He's been at the same church for over 30 years. And I spent most of my nights at church, most of my days. I had my own office and extension at the church as an eight-year-old. I was born and bred in the church, okay? And I loved the church for that. But when I became a senior in high school, going into my freshman year of college, I was heading off to Bible college, I had to decide. I'd never really done the work. I had to decide if I really believed that Jesus rose from the dead. I had to decide if I really believed that God existed. And so I started reading all the arguments and I read a bunch of books on faith and, and whether or not Jesus existed and whether or not he did rise from the dead. And for me personally, the evidence pointed to Jesus. It, he makes the most sense. Not to mention the, the incredible love and the peace and the joy I feel by being with other believers and striving after Jesus. All of the evidence and all of my experiences pointed to Jesus. But I can promise you one thing. If they ever find his body, I'm gone. I'll walk out that door tomorrow they ever find his body because I believe that the evidence points to a resurrected Jesus who was God. See, faith is not blind belief, but believing on the evidence of the testimony that you read in Scripture, these eyewitness accounts, these Gospels that we're going to, through, and, and the historical evidence that points to Jesus. And you and I are challenged every single day to seek the evidence, to decide, do we believe that Jesus was who he said he was? Can we believe the historical documents? Can we believe the scriptural documents? Can we believe the testimony of others to believe that Jesus is, in fact, God? Now, I say all that, and I understand that that's a lot of work, which is the second understanding that we need to have about faith, and that is that faith is work. Do you think this was Bart's first time crying out to God to be healed? Absolutely not. I believe Bart had probably prayed every single day, God, I want to be healed. God, I want to see. God, I want to move from the side of the street to a home. God, I don't want to be an embarrassment. And he probably felt like God was silent in his life that whole time. But somewhere along the way, Bart wrestled through those doubts and those questions, and he came to a point where he believed that God was good and that God could heal him. And even though he couldn't see the goodness of God, he trusted in the goodness of God and that God would work in his life. And so he said, if God can work in my life, I'm going to work to get to God. I'm going to work to get an audience with Jesus. Look at what happens, Luke 18, verse 39. Be quiet, the people in front of him yelled, but he only shouted louder. This is work. He only shouted louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. See, this is the work that's required of faith, but so many of us will ever go there. We'll ever 
will never put in that amount of work. See, we want to believe that Jesus exists, and then we just want to shake him like this eight ball and hope that he gives us the answer we want. If he doesn't, well, then he must not be real. But the reality of the situation is faith takes work. And work is hard. It was hard for a blind man to be in a crowd of others trying to get his way to one single man. It's hard for a blind man to believe in a miracle that he'd never seen. It's hard for a blind man to have a voice that speaks out over the voice of many to get the attention of one man. That's hard work. He would have been so discombobulated by the crowd and the commotion that was going on, but he persisted and he worked through. He worked hard to get Jesus' attention and few of us put in the same amount of work. We have bought into the lie of our culture that instant gratification is everything. We've got to have it now, right away. So often good things in life and things that are worth pursuing take time and take work. I, I came across a newspaper a columnist by the name of Ann Landers. She used to write a column called Dear Ann. And uh, <laughs> see y'all, the older people are laughing. Uh, they, they would write in their questions, and then she would answer. Uh, and this was the one I found this week. I thought it was, was fantastic. She said, it says, Dear Ann, I have a problem. I'm happily married to a wonderful woman. We have, or to, yeah, wonderful woman. We have two children, but I also have been seeing another young lady for the past six months. My problem is that I love both of them. What should I do? Please don't give me a lecture on morality. Signed, confused. Here was Anne's response. Dear confused, the only difference between animals and humanity is morality. I suggest you consult a local veterinarian. <laughs> Signed, Anne. See, he had a problem, right? He had, maybe he had two problems. And he didn't want to go through the work of morality to get to the solution to his problem. See, deciding that you believe in Jesus takes work. It takes work to decide. Uh, following Jesus takes work. Loving others takes work. Faith is work. And many of us have failed to see God move in our life or we failed to see a miracle because we don't put in the work required of faith. We want the healthy finances, but we don't want a budget. We don't want to say no to the things that we want. We want healthy families, but we're always working, focusing on providing that we're never actually home with the spouse and the kids. We want healthy marriages, but counseling is just embarrassing. I'm not going to put in the work of healthy faith is work. We get mad when Jesus won't give us what we want, but few of us have proved responsible with the things he's already given us. Jesus is waiting for us to do the work of faith. This is a picture of Scott Hamilton. He's an American figure skater, and he's won uh, over 70 awards and medals. Uh, but nothing about his life was easy. See, what you may not know about Scott is that as a young boy, he was diagnosed with a rare disease that stunted his growth. And so he was constantly bullied and picked on for being short in school. And then we got to high school. He was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer that affected his fertility. And then as an adult, he was diagnosed with brain cancer, not just once, not just twice, but three times. I mean, nothing in this man's life has ever been easy. But here's what he writes about this in an interview. I think it's brilliant. He says, any challenge, be it romantic, physical, job-related, athletic, mental, or financial, can also serve as a gift if we allow it to. I calculated once how many times I fell in my skating career. 41,600 times. But here's the funny thing. I got up 41,600 times. Here's how he concludes. That's the muscle you have to build in your psyche. The one that s reminds you to just get up. Sometimes in faith, we just have to keep getting up. 
Because faith is a journey of daily deciding that we will follow Jesus. It's not like we're going to be perfect on 41,600 and first time, but it's the, the culmination of all those decisions to follow Jesus. If Bart had given up, he would have never received his sight. And many of us have given up on Jesus because we get impatient with him and we say, well, I've tried him once. I prayed to him once. But what would happen if all of us, whether we're we're just searching things out or if we've been a Christian our whole life, what would happen if all of us worked at faith and we said, I will show God that I'm ready. See, if you want the benefit of faith, sometimes you have to work in faith because it's our faith that puts us in the position to be shaped, molded, and used by God. In fact, look what happens at the end of the story, verse 40. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. And as the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it praised God as well. Even though Bart worked, and we're going to talk a little bit about an oxymoron like we did last week. Even though Bart worked, he kept praying, he kept persisting in faith. At the end of the day, what was required of Bart to be healed was complete and total surrender to Jesus. Because only Jesus could give him his sight back. He could work all he wanted, but at the end of the day, only Jesus could give him his sight back. See, faith is work, but faith is also surrender. Faith is surrender. Persistent faith puts us in the position for God's power to be displayed in our lives. That's what happened to Bart. But only if God is the object of our faith. In other words, we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we can persist and we can do all the work that we want. But if we still have the problem, that must mean that Jesus is the only one who can fix that problem. Because if you and I could have fixed that problem on our own by just pulling our bootstraps up, we would have already done it. But we're still here. We're still searching. We're still trying to figure out how to combat the problems that we have. I came across this video this week of uh, two deer Melissa, you can go ahead and play that video. Uh, they were in the woods fighting. They had been chasing a female, and, and they got in a fight with each other. It's another sermon for another day. And as they were fighting, they got caught in the barbed wire, which, of course, exasperated the problem. And then these hikers come upon them. And what we have here, though, is a problem of misunderstanding. Because as they're trying to fight and flail away from the hikers, they're probably thinking to themselves, well, you're the reason I'm in this situation in the first place. It was a human who put this barbed wire fence up. They're looking at the hikers saying, you're the source of my pain. But in reality, it was only the hikers who could set them free. It was only the hikers who could liberate them from the barbed wire. See, many of us think that God is the source of our pain. We think that God is the problem that we have, when in reality, God is the only one who can liberate us. God is the only one who can set us free. Bart could have been mad. He could have shaked his fist at God. and God, why did you make me a blind man? Why did I have to suffer this in life? But Bart chose surrender. And he decided that Jesus was his only hope of getting better. Jesus showed up at your door and said, what do you want me to do for you? How would you respond? Did you slam the door in his face? Did you ask for a million bucks? Would you peel back the layers of your heart and say, Jesus, here's what I need. Here's what I want. Here's my desire. And I believe that only you can fix it. I believe that only you can make me whole. I want the marriage to be repaired. I want my family to be made whole. I want those financial pressures that I felt my whole life to be relieved. And we can work towards a lot of those things. But at the end of the day, it requires surrender 
and trusting that Jesus can fix the rest. And that's where you and I have to drop our pride and say, Jesus, I've done all I can do. I want to see. Look, I don't know what your life is. I don't know your struggles. I don't know your pain. I don't know your problems. I don't know where you stand with Jesus. But I would submit to you that the evidence to the solution to your problems, to the hole that you feel in your heart, points to Jesus. That's where the evidence points to You know what Jesus has done that no other religious leader in history has done? I mean, think of some of the great religious leaders uh, in history. Confucius, Gandhi, Muhammad. You know what Jesus has done that no other religious leader has done? He claimed to be God. You know why that's really stupid to do if you're not God? Because if you die or fail, everything goes to pot. Everything you worked for is done. But you know what Jesus also did? He didn't just claim it. He proved it by rising victoriously from the grave three days He was dead. He went into that tomb. And three days later, he resurrected. And I believe that if he can bring himself back, he can bring you back. And if he has victory over death and he has victory over sin and he has victory over evil, then he will have victory in your life as well if you surrender to him. And surrender will often feel like death. I love what uh, Pastor John Ortberg says. He says, in order to experience resurrection, one must die first. You have to die in order to experience resurrection. The answer to life And the answer to the problems that so many of us face lie with Jesus and it takes surrender. It takes death. It takes dying to the ways of the world. It takes dying to ourself and saying, Jesus, I want you to rise in my life because I can't do this on my own. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Do you have faith that he can? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this story that though it's an old story, God, it speaks directly to our lives because every single one of us in this room have a problem. Maybe big, it may be small, we may be looking for meaning, we may be looking for wholeness, God. Whatever it is, I pray that each and every one of us would just have the faith to surrender it to you. That we would examine the evidence and we would see that the evidence points to you, that you make the most sense. And God, that we would work towards getting closer to you, that we would put in the work required of faith, And God, in the midst of our work, I pray that at the end of it all, we would surrender and say, Jesus, only you can make me better. Jesus, only you can save me. God, that's our prayer. I pray that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us as we leave today, and that we would go be the church and we would live in faith. It's in your name that we pray.